The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Every time I hear the words of Christopher J.H. Wright, something wells up in my heart. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. The church is a mission to share the good news, to go out, as Jesus says, to all the world, teaching all that he has taught them, baptizing, absolving, casting out demons, healing the sick, sharing his very life in the sacraments, in his words, in acts of charity. The mission has a church. It has an assembly. That's us. But the mission comes first. (laughs) And the church, the church has a day. Today. At least to focus on the mission. We call it World Mission Sunday. Oftentimes what comes to mind is the, those who professionally do this. They, they go out to the four corners of the globe. Can I give you three obvious ones? We sang about the, the faith of our fathers. Here's three that check the box really well. Today, October 22nd, the church around the world, at least when it doesn't fall on a Sunday, celebrates the feast of Pope St. John Paul II who for 27 years spread the gospel. He talked about the new evangelization, not just doing the same old thing that we've always done, but doing it to ears and to hearts that think they've already heard it and dismissed it. He went to places that people were excited to see him. He went to places where people weren't. I remember when I was in high school, he came to Denver. And the secular world around the country said, the secular news around the country said, nobody is going to pay attention to this. There's no place for this in, in the world today. This gospel, this pope from Poland. 750,000 young people joined me. They didn't join me, they joined Jesus. <laughs> they joined the pope. They came for this, and it, it changed my life. Seeing that that witness, he was discouraged from going. This World Youth Day seems a bit silly. No. Praying with young people, even when the world says no, was a missionary activity. This mission as a church. He did so again in Krakow back in 78. Remember when the communists were in charge? They didn't want him doing it. But he gathered with the faithful there in the center square. (laughs) And they started chanting, we want God. We want God. We want God. They wouldn't stop. That moment, the the single, single most action of the single most person led to the fall of the commun, the fall of communism, the fall of the Iron Curtain. He wasn't wanted there. But he went. He spread the gospel. He was a mission, a missionary. Probably most dramatically, it was in 1983 with Mehmet Agka. Remember? It was 81 when some of you remember. Mehmet Agka in St. Peter's Square pulled out a gun and tried to assassinate Pope John Paul. Two years later, John Paul went to his prison cell 
He wasn't wanted there. But he needed him to know that he forgave him. And he spread the gospel. That mission that, that has a church to go out to the four corners of the world, even where it's unwanted. Second example was the North American martyrs. We celebrated their feast on Thursday. Those French Jesuits way back in the 17th century that came right here to our very area, what they called New France, to spread the faith to the native people. Despite days much rainier than today, despite days much colder than today, despite the threat and physical reality of martyrdom, and despite the loneliness that came with them, they went to share the faith, even where it wasn't wanted, because the mission has a church, and they were part of it. They were martyred. At least three of them were down in the town we call Orisville, just west of Albany. And just yesterday, people from around the state gathered there in Orisville, from Long Island to Plattsburgh, Buffalo, Manhattan, and right here to Canton and Potsdam. Deacon Jim and his wife Diana were on the bus. They didn't get back till midnight last night to be a part of the celebration. They're in Orisville. Bishop Lavalley was also there, and he's my third example. Uh, you got a picture of the place in Orisville. If you've never been there, there's... They actually call it the Colosseum. It's a big church in the round. It's the largest church, at least seating capacity, in the entire country. It fits 10,000 people if you squeeze them in there. And there in the center, there's four altars on the four walls of what looks like a 17th century fort, like what the French Jesuits would have lived in at times, an altar on each side. That works fine normally, but when you fill the place for a New York State Eucharistic Congress, they have to use the fifth altar. Bishop Lavalley didn't want to. He needed to, because on the top of this fort, there's a little stairway up to a little doorway, up to an altar at the very top, surrounded by all those pointed posts that were reminiscent of a 17th century fort, that if he were to fall on them, surely would meet his demise. But he made it up there and he offered mass. He didn't want to for physical reasons. Even more, he didn't want to because it was the cardinal's job. Cardinal Dolan was originally slated to be there. There were all the other bishops of the state, but our own Bishop Lavalley from right here in Ogdensburg. He went up, senior most bishop now of the state. Why? Because the mission as a church. He's a man of the church, and he knew that he had to go and spread the gospel, even, even where he did not want to go. Those three fathers, the North American martyrs, Pope John Paul and Bishop Lavalley, they're obvious choices, right? They're the professionals. They're the clergy. They make dramatic gestures. They gather with large crowds. That's what the church does. It's what the church is. That's not all. We hear in the readings today of something much different. From the prophet Isaiah, the Lord said to his anointed Cyrus, do you remember the history on this one? Way back in 587 BC, 
the Babylonian exile, right? The Babylonians came in, destroyed Jerusalem, burned the temple, and drew out the best and brightest members of the Jewish people back to Babylon. It was probably the most traumatic event in the history of all of Israel. Decades later, the Persians took over. They became the new force. They conquered the Babylonians. And who was the king of Persia? This guy named Cyrus, a pagan king. What's the prophet Isaiah doing talking about a pagan king being the anointed of the Lord, the Christ, the anointed? How so? Because he was going to allow those captive Jewish people back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. If it could happen through a pagan king, it's a message to each of us, that each of us on the day of our anointing, the day of our baptism, we were sent out not to be perfect, but to still be part of the mission, to be part of the church. We have to be intentional about it. We don't have to be perfect, but intentional. And that's why we look to that gospel passage, right? That famous story of Jesus being asked, being stumped, at least they thought. Is it fair to pay the temple tax or not, Jesus? If he said yes, then he sounds like he's rebelling against the Jewish people. He sounds like he's selling out to the Romans. If he says no, and you're not supposed to pay the Roman, the Roman temple tax, then it sounds like he's a revolutionary. It's a catch-22. <laughs> what does he do? He says, show me a coin whose image is on it. It's Caesar's, they say. Then render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. You see, we must, we do, like it or not, we live in a political world. We hear, we deal with, we deal with taxes, we deal with politics, we deal with the stuff that sometimes drives us crazy, but we cannot just throw up our hands and say, that's it. I'm going off to live in the woods. At least most of us can't do it. We'll starve to death. We have to, better yet, come together to support one another. Even if we could go and live in a hut in the woods by ourselves, we're part of something so much more. We can't be afraid of it. We must, yes, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. The coin has his image on it. But what... What must we render to God? What belongs to God? And what has his image imprinted on it? Our hearts, our very lives, each and every one of us. Those kids in Denver in 1993, the, the natives in 17th century in New France, the unborn child in the womb, the person sitting next to you right now, and the person that you looked at in the mirror when you got up, made in the image and likeness of God. And so it is our mission. We are part of this mission in part of this church to go out, to share the faith. Those of us who are fathers, to share the faith that was given to us. Those of us who are mothers, to share that faith. Those of us who are children, to share the faith so that we might be one, and we might give the Lord glory and honor.